I find so many people telling me that they're grinding their teeth through the night, not realizing and only discovering the repercussions later. In this episode, we break down TMJ, facial pain, grinding and snoring, which are much more common than you think. If you find your teeth grinding down because you're tensing the facial muscles in sleep, take a listen. You might not realize it at all, but you can see the impact on your teeth. How does this intersect with snoring? Welcome to episode number 87 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast and I'm speaking with Dr. David Shirazi. Dr. Shirazi graduated from Howard University College of Dentistry in Washington, D.C. in 2000 and earned a master's degree in Oriental Medicine from Samra University in 2006 and is also a board-licensed acupuncturist. He has completed over 2,000 hours of continuing education in TMD and facial pain, craniomandibular orthopedics, and sleep-disordered breathing. He's the founder of the Bite, Breathe, and Balance podcast dedicated to the multidisciplinary approach to treating craniofacial pain and sleep disorders in adults and children. He is the director of the TMJ and Sleep Therapy Center of Conego Valley and Los Angeles that are limited to the treatment of craniofacial pain, sleep disordered breathing and craniomandibular orthopedics. He lives with his wife in the Santa Monica Mountains where they are very close to nature. In case you missed the Flying to Freedom meditation on episode 86, It's specially curated by Himalayan Yogi. It resonates with the feeling of lightness and freedom. This meditation is curated to connect with releasing all that feels heavy in your life and to feel as light as a bird flying in the sky. Play this anytime you feel burdened by the heaviness of life and emotions that weigh you down. You don't have to only play it in the night, you can also play it in the afternoon to help you wind down and relax deeply just in the middle of the day. Hey everyone, I'm Deepa, Light Functional Medicine Practitioner, Author and Yogini and you're listening to the Sleep Whisperer Podcast, the only sleep podcast with conversations and meditations. I'm on a mission to share profoundly insightful sleep conversations with global visionaries that merge together functional medicine and ancient wisdom. Breathe in bliss through weekly guided meditations and let yourself enter the land of dreams. Together, let's unravel the pieces, get to the roots and understand the right tools to transform your sleep completely. Through this podcast, I want you to dream the best version of yourself. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey.
Dr. Shirazi, welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. So very nice to have you. And we are two opposite corners of the globe, exactly, almost 12 hours apart. And um, yes. it is always fascinating to meet people who are so far away from you globally, but probably very connected in terms of what we uh, are involved with. And it's always something dear to me when I see somebody who's focused a lot on sleep because even today sleep is ignored a lot you see so many people struggling with sleep challenges and not taking them seriously enough and just putting them down to popping a sleeping pill and downing it with a glass of wine lasting in the night which can be so detrimental so I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to having this conversation which is quite special specialized with you because I have recently come across a lot of people who've asked me this question that I think I'm grinding my teeth in my sleep and it's getting worn down. I don't know why I'm doing that. So I truly didn't have any answers when I got those questions. So I'm uh, excited to speak with this to, to speak about this to you today. And we're talking about TMJ, grinding teeth, facial pain, snoring, so a lot of interconnected areas probably, but I'd like you to break that down for us. But first, just quickly tell us about Dr. Shirazi and what got you into this, because it was unique when you mentioned these specific uh, areas of TMJ, and I've never really had someone else, a sleep expert, who's mentioned these specific areas. So what got you to where you are today? Well, thank you for the question and thank you for having me on your show. It's so cool that we're so far apart and we have such uh, wonderful mutual interests in learning about this. So when I got out of dental school and I was studying Chinese medicine, I was doing a lot of what's called functional orthodontics, which is the kind of orthodontics where if someone has crowding or they have a skeletal abnormality, we try to use appliances to expand the palate or move the jaw or jaws in positions that are more ideal. And even though, you know, back then, this is 20 years ago, even though uh, knowledge in sleep apnea was increasing in my field, it was still largely unknown. Mm. And I would say 99.9% .9 of dentists had no knowledge of it at all, even in the academic world. And um, we now know that a, a way of curing sleep apnea and snoring in children is with this very same functional orthodontics. So when we had patients that had the apnea, the snoring, the clenching, the grinding, we would make appliances for them. And you know, mom would come back and say, oh, he's sleeping through the night, he's quiet, there's no bedwetting, He's doing better in school. His mood is better. His behavior is better. He gets along with the family better. He gets along with his friends better. His patience is greater. Um, and here, I know in India, no one like jumps to medications like they do in America. But here in America, like the, the thought process is, oh, you have a problem. You go to the doctor and he'll give you a drug, right? So oftentimes they would get off of their medications. Hmm. So it was a really wonderful feeling. And then, of course, after a while, the parents would say, can you do the same for me that you did for my kid? <laughs> right. And, and my, my practice focused for to adults as well. 
Mm, interesting. And just to clarify, most of our listeners are actually in the US and we have very few listeners in India. So oh, uh, <laughs> it's very strange. I started mm-hmm. out trying to reach the Indian audience and then we found that most of the listeners were there. But uh, And even though you said, I know in India, people don't really jump to medication. That's not quite true today because you see a lot of people self-prescribing for everything from a gut infection, a common cold, uh, two days of a common cold and they're stuffy and they're putting themselves on antibiotics and Mm. there's just no alarm and it comes to that. So there is this probably two opposing worlds in India where there's the passionately ancient wisdom world which strives to use the magical tools from herbs and kitchen foods but then there's this opposite area who's probably trying to do little bits and pieces of that but in the midst of that have fallen into this vicious cycle of medication. Um, So I just wanted to clarify that, but I'd love for you to actually tell me what is TMJ because a lot of people put that down in several nutritionists intake forms and then uh, we just assume something, but what exactly is TMJ? Right. So the word TMJ stands for temporal, temporal mandibular joint, and it's just the name of our jaw joint, right? And it makes up of two bones, the temporal bone and the condyle of the jaw, of the mandible. So that's why we call it the temporal mandibular and then joint because there's a piece of uh, fibrocartilage uh, to cushion in that joint. And it's not so much the joint itself, but around it and particularly behind it, behind it a little bit in the middle, there is um, a collection of nerves and uh, a plexus of blood vessels that when we clench our teeth or when our jaws shifted back, it compresses on those nerves and irritates those Mm. those nerves. That irritation uh, can be associated with tension type headaches, of course, jaw pain, ear pain. And if it goes on long enough and a phenomenon happens called central sensitization, and you can actually have migraines or even a trigeminal neuralgia associated with it. Wow. And so is, um, do you feel that, I know that a long time back, I had a pain exactly where you're describing it. And I went to an ENT specialist who told me that my jaw joint was being worn down and I needed Mm -hmm. to not eat any raw foods, which for me at that time didn't make any sense. Uh, so do it you feel, make sense to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm glad you mentioned that. So is that what causes, is that tension what causes someone to actually start grinding their teeth? And also why does grinding teeth actually occur more in your sleep? Because so many people describe that they don't uh, know that they're doing it, but they can feel tension, they feel tenderness or sensitivity in their teeth the next day, and they actually feel as if their teeth have been worn down. So are the two connected? Well, of course, yeah. So clenching your teeth during the day is actually a relatively rare phenomenon. Um, It's associated with stress. It can be associated with having a weird bite. Um, But it's not as common during the day as it is during the night. Um, but people won't report 
that they do it at night because they don't know they're asleep mm-hmm. unless they, you know, a dentist tells them or they notice, as you said, their teeth wearing down and they have jaw pain. So anything that causes an autonomic nervous system uh, dysfunction will cause someone to clench their teeth. So we actually now know from research that roughly 50% of the time, the reason why we clench our teeth is because of a form of sleep apnea called upper airway resistance. And it's a response to our airflow. Like when our airflow goes like that, we clench our teeth, um, which tightens up the throat muscles, the, the tongue muscles, and allows us to breathe a bit better. And when our airflow is restored, we see the, the, um, the clenching stop. Now that's about 50% of the time. The other 50% of the time we say just stress, right? But stress can be emotional stress. Stress can be pain, uh, you know, chronic pain, like back pain. Um, if you have a food sensitivity, mm. you know, let's say you're allergic to gluten and cheese, and then you have a slice of pizza, you'll probably punch your teeth afterwards. Mm. So, so the relationship is there. That's why I never promise my patients that I can get them to never clench their teeth again, right? Um, for me, the biggest issue is, let's say it is because of sleep apnea. Great, we can resolve that hopefully with oral appliances or CPAP. But then, you know, someone could be driving on the freeway or someone can insult them and they can go home and clench their teeth from the stress of that, right? The, the emotional challenge. So that's why when I make appliances, it's, I say, you know, it's for the rest of your life because eventually you're going to go and clench your teeth again. Mm. Mm. So is it deeply linked to just dialing back the stress response and moving away from fight or flight to a more calmer state? Uh, and this it, it is, is just showing up as one of the symptoms of sympathetic dominance? Well, all of the above, all of the above. And, and just saying, okay, I need to get my autonomic tone more into parasympathetic is not enough because even if someone is perfect, you know, they're in perfect health and they're a very relaxed, mellow person, you know, they can get into a fight with someone, have a disagreement and then go clench their teeth. <laughs> you know, they can have an upset that makes them clench their teeth. So uh, just doing the relaxation, I don't, at least I haven't seen any studies on it, um, is not enough. Yes, I would. Uh, I understand what you're saying. And I think that uh, it's easier said than done as well, because what you just mentioned about someone having a fight and they can go back and later clench their teeth, that's so valid because a lot of times when people are in situations of high stress, their body doesn't actually react and it reacts later when they've stepped away from that actual situation. And that's exactly what you're describing as well. Uh, And I'm glad you brought attention to the fact that it's a long-term bringing attention to and managing rather than realizing that I can magically fix it one fine day and then I'll be perfect. So I'm so glad that you said that. But does... um, are certain people predisposed towards facial pain, grinding teeth? Is it certain structural aspects that triggers that? Is it, of course, the heightened stress response? Many well, factors together. It is so many factors. Like, so for example, 
in that segment of the population that clench because of an upper airway issue, a large percentage of those, I think it was 89% in one study, have difficulty breathing through their nose. Hmm. And so they'll mouth breathe, and this will be a response to that. So having proper you know, nasal passages is really important. And then, of course, if you get a cold, well, guess what? Now you can't breathe through your nose that well, <laughs> right? So that's why it's very dynamic. The genetic component is very interesting. So for example, some people that have a centrally sensitized response to a chronic TMJ condition, some people get migraines mm. and some people get trigeminal neuralgia, right? Both of them are plastic changes to the brain that are a response to a chronic pain. If the question ever came up, well, why did this person get a migraine and why did that person get a trigeminal neuralgia because of their TMJ problem, let's say, we couldn't tell you any other reason other than genetics. It would have to be genetics. I don't know any other reason because we're talking about the way our brains are developed. And it, would it have anything to do with the state of their health and their system at that present moment? What, are, what I'm trying to say is if there were markers of heightened systemic inflammation, would that predispose them to developing yeah. more serious challenges? Absolutely. Absolutely. Even like I mentioned mouth breathing, when someone has a stuffy nose, even that puts us into an inflammatory state even that puts us into an honor, autonomic sympathetic state and that can make us clench our teeth for sure. Very, very poignant of you. Yes. And do you feel that we bring enough importance to looking at mouth breathing because a lot of people are doing that and they don't really think it's something alarming, but you so rightly said that it does increase this fight or flight when you mouth breathe. So do mm -hmm. you feel that enough attention is being brought to mouth breathing and trying to actually find a way to prevent yourself from breathing that way, especially in your sleep when you're not aware of it? Yeah. So if your question is, is do we have enough um, data? Do we have enough attention brought on the subject? I don't think we do. Um, if your question is, uh, should people be more, more conscious aware of their own nasal breathing or mouth breathing and then do something about it? The answer is definitely yes, right? Because sometimes <clears throat> we'll have the same problem and it won't be obvious, right? So everyone thinks that mouth breathing is sort of like, you're just doing that. But sometimes the airflow becomes low in the nose and all we do is just part our lips open a few millimeters. And then we're still mouth breathing or we're mouth breathing and nasal breathing together. Mm. And we do this unconsciously because we need to breathe all the time, right? It would be too much attention brought on the fact of breathing if we had to focus on it, right? Because we do it so much. So it's subtle. And if we can become aware, are we able to close our lips all the time when we breathe? If the answer is yes, most likely you're, you're not mouth breathing. But if you can only close your lips together for a couple of minutes, then most likely when you're not thinking of it, you're mouth breathing. 
Um, so if someone were having those tendencies where they can't close their mouth for too long, what are the interventions that you would suggest? Because my mind instantly went to India's ancient Jalneti and Sutraneti. I don't know if you've heard about that, but that's traditional ancient wisdom of using the catheter to if there's a deviated septum and then uh, bringing the salt water in inside the cavity to get um, more better blood circulation in the mucosal area so uh, i'm not by any means going to speak about that but i'd like your thoughts on what are practical tools people could use to shift that right so i think everything that you mentioned is excellent um for me you know we have the saying 95 percent of successful outcome is the right diagnosis. Mm -hmm. If you have the right diagnosis, you'll, you'll get a good outcome because you know what you're doing. So in my office, we take a CAT scan of the nose and if they have inflamed turbinates, if they have a sinus infection, if they have a deviated septum, we treat all those things differently. Right. You know, even if, and it might be the referral, might be to an ENT, but, but we're always doing something that relates to the patient. So if it were a if you if it were a deviated septum, what would be the what would you guide someone to do? Well, if they're young enough, actually that palatal expansion, that that uh, functional orthodontics I mentioned, there's there is a case study where we've done that where we expanded the palate and uh, corrected a deviated septum. Um, surgery is of course the fastest way of getting a, a result. So that's also an option is, is doing a surgical procedure. Um, yeah, I mean, and there's even some people that do what's called nasal ballooning where they take a deflated balloon and put it in their nose and then they pump it up full of air to kind of move the septum over. Mm. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. Um, yeah, I've had safety, it done Safety in terms of that? Yeah, it's pretty safe. It's about as safe as, um, uh, well, it's safer <laughs> than the surgery. Yeah, I would say it's safer than surgery. Um, and it has just the same relapse rate of about five years. So it's an option. It's a viable option. All right. So Dr. Shirazi, I know that I want to get a little bit of your thoughts on snoring. But before that, I would like to ask you if you did mention that in systemic inflammation could be one of the roots of why someone has these tendencies towards TMJ or grinding teeth or tension. Um, do you also bring some focus into using food and lifestyle to support your uh, patients? And if so, what would be some of those guidelines? Yeah, so I, I recommend my patients go on a non-inflammatory diet. So, you know, we, in your case, I know you, I mean, you guys consider curry and things like that as commonplace, but not so much here, but food spices like curries are very anti-inflammatory. But we'll also recommend that they avoid uh, GMO soy, corn, wheat, sometimes eggs, sometimes dairy, as a lot of people have a reaction to that here. Mm. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I know, I think there is more focus for sure today on food, although there's the other extreme as well. Again, I think there are these polar extremes when it comes to using food in uh, any kind of recovery. There's some people, and I'm so happy to hear you say that you do bring your attention to those areas because I do feel it's so important. But uh, do break down snoring for us, uh, not so much in terms of what it involves, but uh, I do remember you saying that um, you mentioned a statement which was solved the snoring problem. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on how do you solve the snoring problem? <laughs> well, it's going to vary. So one of the, the most important ways, I the first go-to way, of resolving a snoring problem is making sure you can breathe through your nose properly. Okay. So in America, you know, a lot of people have like deviated septums and they'll have very, very small, what's called nasal valves. That means the opening into their nose is very, very small. Yours are perfect, by the way. Right? But <laughs> How in America, they're very, very small, most of my patients. So you can buy an over-the-counter product called a mute which is a nasal valve dilator. It's basically an O-ring as a scaffold. And you put it inside your nose and each nostril gets its own scaffold to keep the valves of the nose open. Mm. And this allows more air to be breathed in. And is that something that is worn for a short amount of time as a therapeutic tool or is it something that's longer? Well, if they're wearing it for snoring, they would wear it just when they're sleeping, oh. right? But for example, these very same people that have a hard time uh, breathing through their nose, if they want to go do an exercise like running, uh, they may want to wear it for something like that as well. Mm. Yeah. Oh. And the people that have like food sense, a lot of people that have food sensitivities, certain foods will swell up their nose. So if patients can't avoid those foods, they're, let's say they really love their pizza, they really love whatever, um, we ask them to try to uh, eat those foods in the morning so that hopefully by the end of the day, it's not so swollen. Ooh. That um, makes sense? Yes, it does. Although, I mean, I just feel that that's a very patient approach from you as a doctor because I would just say stay off the foods it's going to harm yeah, you well we do <laughs> we do but the reality is some people don't have the self-control yeah I'd love to know a little bit more about this because it was very interesting for me to hear you say that certain foods actually could you just go into that a little bit in detail yeah. because it's really interesting because Frankly, I think this might be one of uh, the biggest reasons why people have some of these challenges because food is so critical. So I love for you to break that down because I've never heard anyone mention this before. Oh, yeah. So particularly in my experience, uh, wheat and dairy, like gluten and dairy, are the biggest offenders for blocking up or swelling up the mucous membranes of the turbinates. Mm. Yeah. Um, they're actually pretty easy to correct as soon as they stop eating it. But when they're eating and they're consistent, it just it swells up the nose and they just can't breathe. And they just can't breathe. Yeah. You know, and it's possible some people could have based on their gut flora, based on their genetics, they can have 
uh, different things that trigger their uh, IgG reaction. Like I have an aunt who had a crazy reaction to lemon. You don't see that very often, someone having a reaction to lemon, mm. but she did. So she would have to not eat lemon in order to, you know, make sure she's okay. So is that something that you would recommend that someone actually do an IgG testing to understand what it involved for them personally? But also do you, I must ask you this as well, because do you feel that that is, um, it varies based on the time? So for example, what I'm saying is IgG is a test that captures that person's snapshot at that moment in time. So do you feel that they need to be looking at that? Because I heard someone mentioning to me that a doctor had advised her to get it done every six months because it's going to keep changing and she needs to keep shifting based on that. What are your thoughts on that? So, so I always recommend my patients. So first, I, when I take a CT scan in my office, I can tell if the blockage in their nose is more bony or more soft tissue. Mm. If it's more soft tissue, I can see if there's an infection. If there's not an infection, then I'm thinking IgG food intolerance. Um, I always want them to work with their physician on that. That's not a test that I do, but I, I recommend them that they go get it. The lab that I recommend is called Meridian Valley Labs. They're in the Northwest of the United States. And Yes, you should have it updated from time to time, but six months seems pretty extreme, right? Um, if you're not making radical changes to your diet, I, that seems a bit excessive to do every six months, right? Because it is your genetics, but it's also your gut flora. Right. And your gut flora is going to change when you change your diet, mm. right? So if you change your diet and you're stable, you're happy, Maybe a year later or so you can, you know, do the same test, see if anything new comes up. And then, and then if you're fine, then you don't need to do it again. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so other than gluten and dairy, are there some common things that you've seen has been triggers for a lot of people in terms of the swelling up that you've seen? For me, the biggest ones, as, as far as the nose and sinus is concerned, is definitely gluten and dairy. Um, in general, when people, when my patients come back and show me their food allergy panel, the big ones are always dairy, eggs, wheat, corn, and soy. Those are the big ones anyway. Mm. So, you know, in, in America, like the corn has been genetically modified. The soy is almost all like, the majority of genetically modified. Um, and they're not genetically modified to be extra rich in nutrients. They're genetically modified to make more crops, which doesn't make it more nutritious, right? So, you know, I try to avoid them whenever I can personally. All right, so let's try and wrap up all this information that you gave us. So what would your holistic approach be with somebody who was having challenges with inflammation in the mucosa and snoring or grinding teeth, TMJ, 
tension in the jaw. So what would you look at as a holistic way to approach them? Well, lifestyle. So, you know, we talked about stress being one reason why people clench their teeth. Um, a more accurate way of describing stress would be how, how someone interprets their environment, right? Emotional stress. So the truth is that everything that happens is a neutral event. It's neither positive nor negative until we decide or we're programmed to believe that it's positive or negative, right? So just having that awareness to me is very important. So having the awareness of knowing, okay, well, this is what's happening. Is it a bad thing? Well, I don't know. It, you know, it hasn't even completed yet. You know, we'll see. That can go a long way in calming people down, right? Um, their diet, obviously, like we talked about, staying, avoiding high inflammatory foods, um, keeping their weight down, you know, keeping their swelling, their edema down, to, you know, nil. Um, and, uh, and just making sure they breathe through their nose properly. Those are the most important things. Um, I love the neti pot that you mentioned, you know. Um, some people like myself, I use uh, nasal sprays and that mm. uh, made with essential oils. Oh, nice. Because the, the problem is with steroid, is a steroid nasal spray will open up the nasal passages, but within four hours, it closes up and is worse than before. So I'm going to stop you for a second because I need to pick your brains about this. I'd love for you to describe this in detail because there's so many people who have been on opioids or ster steroids for years and years, and they say that they cannot get off it. It's simply impossible. And of course, it might have started as a short-term course, but they've kept themselves on it for several years, and now they've caught in this vicious loop they can't get out of. I'd love for you to just describe what you said right now, differentiate the steroid versus the essential oil. Oh, okay. Well, steroid, not a systemic steroid, but a nasal Spray. Yes, 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 absolutely. Um, when, when that's inhaled, it shrinks the turbinates right up. The mucus of the membrane, it just shrinks right up and you instantly can breathe a million times better. It's fantastic. Um, but steroids have what's called a rebound. Nasal steroids have a rebound. So when it wears off, and it's almost like a light switch, it your nose goes back to being well, however swollen it was before the spray and a little bit worse, mm. right? So in my, this is very, very anecdotal. I don't have any studies to reflect this. If, if I make someone a nasal spray with essential oils, about 80% of the time, we get them off of um, the steroid, right? And so they don't need the steroid. They just use the spray whenever they need it. So do you have any favorite essential oils in this process of weaning them off? So I like to put uh, peppermint oil. I like uh, frankincense. I like eucalyptus. Um, those are my main go-to ones. If they have uh, more issues with infection, I might add oregano uh, or basil or something like that to help their nose really clear up fast. 
Beautiful, Dr. Shirazi. I think I think that was my most favorite part of our conversation because I was super excited to just hear you say that because really I don't think um, this trying to find ways to get off the steroid nasal spray is so limited. You don't hear anyone speaking about this. So I was so happy to hear you say that. Are there any final things that are on your mind in terms of what we spoke about before we get to the end of the show? Well, um, we didn't get to get into detail about it, but in the context of sleep, uh, sleep is more important than diet and exercise, which is not something I'm saying for you to use as a soundbite. It, it just is just true. We have a stage of sleep called Delta, where we get almost 100% of our growth hormone. We have a stage of sleep called REM, where we do our mental and emotional and memory consolidation. So without those two stages of sleep, we don't, we, we can't go on. We can't go on. It doesn't matter what you eat if, if you don't have the repairability from your sleep. And so if someone is coming to you who's struggling with snoring, not able to sleep and having so many health challenges, where do you actually begin? Because it's hard to tell someone who's struggling to say sleep is important. Please find a way to get yourself sleeping. So where do you break that cycle? Right. So, I mean, obviously, the first thing to do is do a sleep study. But before you, and we do in-home studies as well as in-lab studies. So if someone doesn't want to go to a lab, they can have it done in their own bedroom. But if what you're saying is someone has a challenge of telling their partner, hey, you're snoring, hey, you're choking in your sleep, it's a problem. One thing that I've seen work is they whip out their cell phone and they record them in the middle mm. of the night choking and snoring. And then they, when they wake up, it's like, listen, you did this all night. Okay. There's no way this is okay for your health. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. And I'm going to do this for my husband because he just never agrees that he says, no, I'm wearing this snoring aid now and it's all fine. And I say, no, it's not. You're still snoring loudly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one way they can, because the evidence is there. <laughs> yes. And, and the, of course, the, a sleep study is even better evidence because we can see what's happening the whole night. Yes. Uh, and so if you do find that someone actually has been through this sleep study and you found that they do have challenges with sleep, what are your what are the tools in your toolbox when it comes to helping them? So it starts off by first seeing why they have the snoring and the apnea. Is it their nose? Is it their tongue? Is it their throat? Yeah. So it just depends on what they have. And of course, everything we do at Dentist is customized to the person. Mm. So they would need to actually meet with a practitioner and get themselves assessed the right way rather than experimenting with tools they hear about. Yeah, I, 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 exactly. I, I don't think it's safe to experiment with your sleep that way. If you're doing something like essential oils in your nose or you're doing a neti pot or whatever, that's okay. I mean, mm. you're just checking your own body. If you're doing a food elimination challenge where you're like, you know what, I think 
dairy and, and, and wheat are causing a problem, but I don't know. So you go two weeks without any dairy or any wheat and you kind of look for yourself. Hey, my nose is better. Or you know what? It's exactly the same. You know what I mean? Those, those are very safe things that you can do without causing a problem. Um, you know, trying to make your own appliance by something you buy at the store or, um, you know, just wearing like a chin strap or something that keeps your jaw from closing when you're sleeping. I, I worry about those techniques for, for the long term. I'm glad you said that, but you do also, I'm happy to appreciate that you do bring some importance to tools like the native pot and essential oil, because they can be great adjuncts while you're even looking at other deeper approaches. Um, but Dr. Shirazi, I must ask you our sleep whisper show mantra before we conclude. So I want you to complete the sentence for us. If sleep is the new medicine, then how would Dr. Shirazi end that sentence? If sleep is the new medicine, then Dr. Shirazi will aid you in having the best medicine you can have. Oh, I love that. Where can people find you if they'd like to have a sleep study done or just maybe help them wean off steroid nasal drops? Um, so our website out? is called, my office is called, I have two offices in the LA area. Uh, they're both called TMJ and Sleep Therapy Center. If The easiest website is tmjla.com. So TMJ. LA for Los Angeles.com. Perfect. And, you know, we have videos, we have a lot of tutorials and um, explanations, and they can make an appointment if they want to come in. Perfect. Thank you for being on the show, Dr. Shirazi. It was really interesting for me and uh, lots of pearls, clinical pearls for me as well in terms of the essential oil and simple things which makes you feel a little more empowered and not so helpless if you're caught in certain vicious loops. Um, so it was great pleasure having you and for giving us your time. It's my sincere pleasure. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show today. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or the professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help on your health journey, do seek out a qualified professional. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with a qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice or a treatment or cure for any condition. Be sure to always directly work with a qualified practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com. 
It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care especially when it comes to chronic health condition. Be sure to subscribe to the Sleep Whisperer podcast on your favorite podcast app to get each episode as soon as it launches.